ECDC On Air, the podcast of the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. Keeping up to date with European epidemiology. Hello, welcome and thanks for tuning in to the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control audio series, ECDC On Air. I'm your host Lee, recording from my headquarters in Stockholm, Sweden. Through the past year and a half, you may have heard of ECDC being mentioned here and there, but you may be unfamiliar with what actually goes on here in Stockholm when we're not talking about the COVID-19 pandemic. As an EU agency, ECDC aims to strengthen Europe's defences against infectious diseases. We cover a wide range of subjects, including surveillance, preparedness, epidemic intelligence, and response measures. We provide scientific advice, give public health training, and raise awareness through our disease programmes. Put simply, we do quite a lot. This week, we once again sat down with Director Dr. Andrea Armon to discuss ECDC's appearance at the European Health Forum Gestein. The European Health Forum is an independent non-partisan organization founded in 1998 as a health policy platform to bring together stakeholders and decision makers from both the public and private sector. ECDC's participation at the forum has stretched back more than 10 years and in that time has covered three major health emergencies, H1N1, Ebola, and now the COVID-19 pandemic. In the past decade, ECDC-led sessions have been on a wide range of topics such as innovative approaches in improving trust and uptake in vaccinations, the actions needed to end AIDS and TB, and what needs to be done to combat hepatitis in Europe. In 2020, ECDC's panel was on the potential of data in light of early lessons learned from the pandemic and how these insights could be translated into a roadmap for strengthening healthcare systems in the future. This year, ECDC's session is on community engagement for health emergencies, with the aim to integrate lessons learned from the pandemic. The session will feature a discussion on what community engagement is, why it is important, and what has been learned so far. There will also be a discussion that raises questions such as what can international organizations do to ensure wider community engagement is embedded institutionally in pandemic response measures, and how can the uptake of COVID-19 vaccinations among socially vulnerable populations be optimized. We hope you enjoy this episode. We're sitting down again with ECDC Director Dr. Andrea Armon. Dr. Armon, thank you again for joining us for a second time. Welcome back. Happy to be here. So today we're going to be talking about ECDC's attendance at the European Health Forum Gestein. ECDC has been attending European Health Forum Gestein for more than a decade now. How many sessions have you participated in? With this year, it's my seventh participation. So I can say I have participated in most of the the Gestein seminars that ECDC has organized. Fantastic. And which ones have stood out to you? I have to say um, they were all special in their in their way because uh, each year at the beginning of the year we think about what is the topic that we believe we should bring the messages our messages across to the audience in Gastein and uh, in that sense we have really selected carefully the speakers we had a good success we had always full house a very interesting and not only factually interesting speakers but also engaging speakers and uh, a good exchange with the with the audience. So all of them were really, in my view, very successful. Do you find that the sessions, now that they're online, do you feel that there are some things being missed out on as opposed to in-person conferences? 
I mean, the, with the online sessions, what you can achieve is you bring the content across and you have a limited exchange via the chat. But the conference like Gastein lives in the dialogue, well, after the meeting. And that is, of course, what uh, makes the online a bit inferior. So I'm really looking forward to having the face-to-face meetings in Gastein again. Excellent. Something to look forward to uh, possibly next year, perhaps. But this year, ECDC's session is on community engagement for health emergencies. So can you briefly explain to us what is community engagement and why is it important? Well, community engagement is basically the understanding that the community is a partner in the effort to prevent and control diseases, infectious diseases in our case. So we also have the understanding that it's not the community is not one whole. It has subgroups. And in order to be successful getting the public health messages across to these communities, win their trust and, um, and, and cooperation, you have to address them specifically. So that is what we mean with, uh, with uh, community engagement. Basically, it means also that you cannot start community engagement during a crisis. You have to do this on a long-term basis and start uh, before a crisis in order to be able to use it during a crisis. Okay, well, I'm glad you mentioned that there are different kinds of communities, but what are some examples of the kinds of communities we're talking about? Well, there is, for instance, um, I think for us here in Europe, the uh, pandemic is a very good example because we have uh, here the example of this pandemic fatigue. That is a clear signal, you know, the demonstrations that we have seen against the measures uh, that were established. For me, this is a signal that we, we haven't managed to get across to the community, to the population at large, that this is important, that uh, messages are followed, that their participation and contribution is crucial for the control of the pandemic. When we compare, for instance, uh, in uh, March, April last year, when the first lockdowns were imposed, the agreement in the population was very high. But that diminished over time. And I think for me, this is a signal we didn't manage to keep the dialogue, to get the importance of their contribution across. Now, there are, of course, parts of the population, communities that are very difficult to reach for, for health services in general, and even more so in a crisis. And uh, here, these populations also have to be addressed specifically. Okay, and how does that look like? What does that look like from ECDC's perspective? Now, the the point is that uh, the actual interaction with these communities has to be done by the countries, by the uh, health authorities uh, in the countries, and not sometimes not even at the national, but at the local level. So what we can do is basically uh, give guidance, establish uh, the um, practices, and also facilitate for the countries the exchange between the countries in order so that they can learn from each other, that they see what works in another context, not that it is transferable one-to-one necessarily, but that they see, okay, there's a good idea that I can, can translate to my situation. Okay, well, you talked about guidance there. So can you tell me what we have specifically learned throughout the pandemic in dealing with different communities? I think what we have uh, learned uh, is that, um, you know, when we talk about 
vulnerable populations. There are uh, populations in the context now of the pandemic, for instance, that are medically vulnerable and others that are socially vulnerable. And uh, then there are different groupings here. For instance, when we talk about the social vulnerable groups, There are ethnic minorities, there could be migrant population, uh, irregular migrants, people that experience homelessness, uh, people with disabilities, and some of them have more than one of these vulnerabilities. So these people were really hit and affected very hard by the pandemic in terms of that they didn't have access to the health system, that they had experienced a higher rate of infection, of hospitalization, of death, and also of stigmatizing. And uh, so that for them, the impact of this pandemic was uh, much harder than for the rest of the population. Well, now that we are talking about these, uh, these vulnerable populations or other populations in general, how have conversations about better community engagement been improved over the course of the pandemic? I think uh, what we have seen is uh, both sides. Um, we have examples where it has been improved and uh, where it was not successful. We have done uh, a literature review and uh, also a survey among countries and have collected the initiatives in the single countries, what uh, they have done. We have seen that there was a lot of effort, a lot of engagement also by those um, uh, professionals that were in, involved or by those uh, community workers that were involved so that some uh, impact could be alleviated. But uh, we have also seen that uh, sometimes uh, services were just cut because uh, either the location or the people to be used uh, in, in the COVID response and then uh, the um, individuals uh, in the communities were left on their own. So you mentioned surveys that have been done by national authorities. Could you tell me more about these surveys? What are the lessons that we've learned? Um, and can you tell me more about the institutional effort to reach out to different communities? Yeah, so the summary is showing uh, generally what kind of services have been provided, what has been successful or has been seen as successful, and the challenges that they have. So in terms of the successes, what has been seen is that on the one hand, it was very important to continue the current services, but also to be flexible, to see how uh, the, the service can be adapted to now to the, to the, to the situation. In particular, if people uh, could, uh, under a lockdown, not go as they may have been able before to, to the service. So offering online services was uh, definitely something that uh, was, was marked as a success. But also the collaboration between organizations and levels was seen as a success. And what came out is that many of the responses, it was praised the dedication of the um, uh, volunteers and the staff of the, the organizations that are involved in these communities. That uh, without this was really would have not worked at all. So that is basically roughly there's more. And in our publication, you can also read all of this. Well, we can put a link to that yes. in, in, yes, in the notes below. We're looking at this from a very top down perspective. What are the steps an institution like ECDC can take to improve community engagement? 
Well, first of all, it's the advocacy that we're doing now also that was for me the, the reason why we put this um, topic in the center of our seminar this year, because I wanted to make it clear that this is one big missing area that I have perceived in the pandemic preparedness plans. So I have already, whenever I was speaking about lessons learned uh, for the future and will continue to do so, said that community engagement is something that we really have to give more emphasis just because the public health workers and professionals alone cannot overcome something, a situation like, like the pandemic. So we have to really mobilize everybody to contribute. And that is not possible without a proper engagement. So that is something that we can do. The other part is, of course, to look what is uh, scientifically there. What is the evidence that, that is already out there? Because, I mean, just because we haven't fully operationalized community engagement doesn't mean there is no scientific evidence there. So uh, to, to summarize this and make it also accessible to the respective colleagues in the member states. So we have this guidance of community engagement in general that we have published last year. Actually, it came out in February last year, but it was based on something completely not, nothing to do with the pandemic, with outbreaks, um, very different outbreaks and the experiences in four different countries that came out of these outbreak investigations and uh, did a follow-up on this. That was, was summarized there. So it's very clear that a community engagement is something that is not only valid and useful and necessary in case of a pandemic. But it's um, necessary for each outbreak that has actually an effect in the community. And then we have, of course, also uh, looked at uh, specific populations, uh, vulnerable populations, underserved populations, because they may need specific uh, approaches. And there are also, I mean, there's evidence what works and what doesn't work. And that is something that we can also summarize and uh, give out as an example. And the third thing uh, that we have done uh, in, um, actually it was this year, uh, for, for vaccine hesitancy, a specific area where engagement is necessary, is that we facilitate the exchange of experience among um, the colleagues in the countries. Do you have any concerns that the positive changes that have come about as, as a result of the pandemic would be rolled back or, or do you think they're here to stay? Well, I think they will not stay by themselves. Because uh, it's an investment, it takes resources, and I think it uh, will still uh, require an effort in advocacy and awareness raising uh, to uh, make sure that the uh, respective resources are there. I mean, they are part of the preparedness that everybody should now uh, establish, uh, unless they are really institutionalized in the pandemic preparedness plans and part of the general. Uh, how should I say, preparedness, also in terms of simulation exercises and that part, uh, it, will, it will be rolled back, I'm afraid. Okay, well, it's something we should hope that does not happen and that we could see something positive going forward. Well, I think we, we should make sure that it's not uh, sort of uh, sinking back to the level it was before. Excellent. Well, Dr. Armand, thank you very much for your time today. We do really appreciate it. My pleasure. The ECDC session at the European Health Forum Gestein on Community Engagement for Health Emergencies was moderated by Nick Fahey.
senior researcher at Oxford University, with scene setting by John Kinsman, behavioral scientist at ECDC. Speakers at the session were Michael Marmot, Professor of Epidemiology and Public Health at University College London, Reem Musa, Humanitarian Advisor on Forced Migration from MSF, Freik Spinnevine, Director Fianza, the European NGO working on homelessness and housing exclusion, Inga Nevin, Preventative Medicine and COVID Crisis Manager for the Brussels Government, Christiania Oprea, Head of the HIV Department at Victor Babes Clinical Hospital for Infectious and Tropical Diseases, and Dr. Andrea Armon. Director of the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. Excerpts from the session follow. My name is Nick Fahey. I'm a senior researcher at the University of Oxford and expert advisor to the European Observatory on Health Policies and Systems. What I'd like to do first, though, is set the scene, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn to a far more uh, expert speaker, uh, John Kinsman, who is a behavioural science advisor at the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. Thank you, Nick. I am here, and uh, good morning, everybody. It's a real honour to have the opportunity to uh, open this and and, uh, provide some initial thoughts on the topic of community engagement. Community engagement is... uh, very much present during the pandemic. What do we actually mean by this term? It's about listening, it's about dialogue, it's about understanding what people's concerns are, what their expectations are, what their needs are. And I think it's quite clear that in any um, public health emergency, the strategy and the approach needs to be directed by the public health authorities. I think that's very clear. But it can't be just a case of people saying, well, this is what you have to do. If you go down that road on a sort of top-down approach, you won't necessarily be speaking to people in a way that will be meaningful and attractive and appealing to them. So community engagement essentially requires that you understand what people's thoughts are about the, the disease in question, what their thoughts are about the response to the disease, um, and to address those and to meet them in, in the terms that they would recognize and understand and appreciate. I'd like to um, turn now to our first panel discussion um, and I'll introduce each of the speakers as we come to them. And the, the first uh, speaker who I'd like to um, turn to uh, is some, uh, uh, Sir Michael Marmot, um, Professor Sir Michael Marmot, who is Director of the UCL Institute of Health Equity at, uh, at UCL, University College London, and who is Chair of the Commission on Social Determinants of Health. Could you tell us what are the social determinants of health and how are they relevant to community engagement in our response to COVID-19? If we want to deal with the effect of this pandemic, yes, of course, we have to control the virus, but we have to deal with the causes of inequalities in health. And that is the social determinants of health, because the pandemic exposed the underlying inequalities in society and amplified them. And I want now to turn to Reem Musa, who is um, humanitarian advisor on forced migration at Médecins Sans Frontières. And I'd like to invite you to tell us about what have been some of the specific challenges faced by people in that context, for example, housed in migrant detention centers during the COVID-19 pandemic, and how have those been addressed? Thank you so much and thank you to John and Michael um, already for highlighting a lot of the, I think, um, 
working with communities and then especially when working with vulnerable and excluded communities, I think we've all seen the similar patterns, similar issues over the pandemic. And that is that this pandemic has only um, deepened um, existing structural inequalities, exclusion and neglect that we've seen in our health systems and societies. Um, for migrant communities, whether they are on the move, uh, undocumented, um, even established migrant communities, so people from culturally diverse um, backgrounds, particularly those that live in low income settings, what we saw was that they were uh, very early on in the pandemic, what we saw is that they were exposed to the risks of transmission um, um, due to COVID, but they were also exposed to bearing the brunt of the consequences of the COVID-19 measures, um, such as lockdowns, um, travel bans and suspension of essential services. As MSF, um, we worked in 30 countries around the world, uh, particularly on issues of migrants uh, in, in the COVID pandemic, but in Europe especially, we worked in several different types of contexts, ranging from informal contexts to closed contexts in places like Portugal, France, Greece, Belgium, and the UK. And what we saw was a pattern, and we saw the pattern was that oftentimes um, migrants, particularly those that are the most um, at risk or vulnerable, were not even considered uh, in, in COVID-19 responses, and particularly were not considered as a key group for community engagement. Um, working in epidemics such as HIV and uh, Ebola, and uh, that we've all learned that community participation, um, whether that's uh, um, uh, a kind of fractured community, it's, you can take the time, again, it's willingness, you can take the time to map and understand where, where people live um, in terms of designing responses, but also trust building are essential in any humanitarian response. Um, as MSF, what we've done is that we've invested in uh, community consultations, but also in peer-led initiatives and really focusing on culturally adapted uh, health promotion um, that is co-constructed and co-curated with, with community members. Migrants and refugees and undocumented people must be included in national global responses. Um, we need to ensure um, health access for all and health equity as all, as Michael has, has already highlighted and that um, a punitive approach doesn't work when you're trying to develop a public health response. So John said right at the start about how, like part of our challenge is about how can we institutionalize these things. And I think one of them, for me, one of the things that comes out of that is one of the key routes to institutionalizing this is for us to start from that sense of diversity and for authorities to start with that, you know, to have a more, an understanding of our communities and our societies, which be, recognizes the variety of the diversity within them. Uh, Reem, thank you so much. Uh, and it's a pleasure to turn now to Frex Binoan, um, who is director of FIANSA, which is um, the European NGO working on homelessness and housing exclusion. What have been some of the specific challenges faced by people experiencing homelessness during the COVID-19 pandemic and, and how have these been addressed? Over to you. Thank you, Nick. Let me first start by saying that um, we estimate that there is at least 700,000 people in the European Union and the UK um, uh, that experience homelessness, sleeping in a shelter or on the street on any given night. Um, and that's 70% more than 10 years ago. Uh, and that's just to say that we were already in a crisis before COVID hit us. Um, uh, and that's uh, important to um, uh, remember. What the challenges that we um, experience, mainly in general, you can say that the um, guidance to protect people against COVID didn't work for homeless people. Um, uh, isolating as home in home in, in your home is quite difficult if you're homeless. That's quite obvious uh, uh, to say. But more specifically, we encountered three major 
challenges. First of all, the living conditions uh, of homeless people. It's clear that you're vulnerable when you live on the street. Uh, many people live in shelters. 90% of the homeless population in uh, Europe lives in, uh, lives in shelters. Shelters are usually overcrowded. Uh, there's collective spaces, so they can be um, uh, uh, places where infections are easy. Night-only shelters, for instance, throw people back onto the streets every morning and they come back in the night in a different bed. So you can understand that that is challenging in COVID times. The second challenge is the underlying health conditions. Most homeless people are sick, have poor health, poor physical health, poor mental health, addiction problems, etc. Um, just to give you a jaw-dropping uh, statistic, um, uh, uh, we know that the uh, average age of death for chronic homeless people, people that um, uh, move between the shelter and the street, uh, is less than 50 years old. Uh, so it gives you an indication of uh, how big a problem the underlying health conditions are. And the third uh, issue is the disconnect between the social care and the health system. This is to do with uh, problems of health insurance, stigma, discrimination, but also the wider issue of the fact that the healthcare system and the social care system, certainly when it concerns homelessness, function uh, in parallel. Now, there is a number of solutions. One is that quite a number of member states have done a huge efforts to get people off the street, uh, the rough sleepers, uh, put them into hotel in safe uh, accommodation. The second is that in some countries, the improvement of the quality of shelter uh, was an issue, um, like it happened. 24-hour uh, shelter became the norm, night-only shelter stopped because it's senseless anyway. More single rooms, more privacy in the shelter. The harm reduction approach was integrated in some of the shelters to capture those that would stay away um, uh, from shelter, etc. And the third um, uh, uh, solution, and that's much less frequent, but still important to mention, is that some countries used the COVID crisis um, to move to housing-led solutions. So not manage homelessness in the shelter system, but move people into um, uh, self-contained housing with support. That's, of course, the best um, uh, uh, solution. And the fourth is the ban on evictions. Um, many countries put bans on evictions during COVID. One of the things that we learned uh, from COVID is that, um, uh, or that we noticed, is that homelessness is now considered a public health issue. It was not before, even if it was. It's now also a public health issue. I think that you've you've underlined both the challenges which are there and the particular challenges of that community, but also the potential for change. Um, so Michael talked about uh, underlying the importance of equity, but then also Reem underlined the importance of diversity. So equity doesn't mean treating everybody the same; it means recognizing the definition, uh, the the um, the variation and the differences within our different communities. Um, John talked about the importance of trust. And, and respect and underlining it, Freg talked about the importance of action. I'm going to turn first to uh, Inga, if I may, um, who is uh, Preventive Medicine and COVID Crisis Manager for the Brussels government. We had some fascinating mess um, uh, messages from the first session. How do you think can the uptake of COVID-19 vaccinations among socially vulnerable populations be optimized? And how can authorities such as the Brussels government work best with civil society um, and with other actors in order to address this? What would you say from your perspective from within Brussels, Inga? 
As you, so we are actually the second uh, biggest cosmopolitan city in the world after Dubai. So with 170 nationalities and more than 100 languages that are uh, spoken. And also with a, a poor northern part, like a little bit as Manchester, like I was told, um, with um, about 30, 31% of the people in the Brussels area that are living at below the at-risk of poverty level. So that's really a lot. It's one on three. So what we really try to do is, is uh, really to work very well with all these uh, local actors and, and uh, people of trust for every community and really to try to set up a, a dialogue with the people living in these areas about their general situation um, and then starting from that one so to, to talk about uh, what is their social situation, what is their uh, household situation, what are the health problems, what are the economical problems and so on and so on. And to start from there and then to start to talk about uh, the health problems, the impact of COVID and then also about the vaccination program. Uh, so if I may turn now to um, Cristiano Oprea, who is Senior Consultant in Infectious Diseases and uh, Head of the HIV Department in Victor Baba's Clinical Hospital for Infectious and Tropical Diseases in Bucharest in Romania. Christiana, there's, there's a long history of engagement with people with HIV uh, and AIDS in Europe and, and that particular patient group has been perhaps one of the sort of almost defining patient groups for how one engages with a particular community. What lessons have you taken from that in relation to COVID-19 and, and perhaps ways in which this is informed how we could be approaching things better? I think it's important and I will start to highlight some similarities and some differences between HIV and COVID-19 pandemic because we, we can start and we can first look at the statistics for HIV and SARS-CoV-2 and we know all that in 40 years we had around 75 million diagnosed patients with HIV and around 40 0.7 million deaths, but in the say to date uh, for COVID-19 we have two, more than 232 million cases, and in one year and uh, approximately nine months we have 4.5 more than 4.5 million deaths. Testing is important for both diseases, for HIV and for uh, SARS-CoV-2. So testing is the word that we have to focus on because testing is limiting both infections and of course their effects on long term. Andrea, may I, may I turn to you? And the first thing I need to say is thank you. How can international organizations such as yours contribute to ensuring that community engagement activities are actually institutionally embedded in these processes of pandemic preparedness and response? Yeah, Nick, thank you very much and a big thank you to all the speakers uh, because you have so beautifully filled the, the, the topic um, and the reason why I decided to have ECDC session this year in uh, Gastein uh, on the community engagement is that I recognize it as one of the major key lessons from the pandemic. And I have said so in all the meetings that I have been since actually last year. For me, community engagement needs to happen with all society. 
to recognize that uh, the society is a partner in the control efforts that we as health authorities have um, that requires to understand their perceptions, their concerns and their, 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 their questions. Uh, of course, uh, the pandemic has highlighted the uh, difficult situations for the vulnerable uh, populations, but it has also shown that the normally not characterized as vulnerable parts of the society also needs to be engaged. Um, and that, I think, is very important to carry on. Secondly, um, it became very clear that uh, now into uh, such a relationship in the pandemic, under pressure, is uh, very difficult now. So uh, what we have been doing uh, or can do as, as a European institution that has actually nothing to say what the countries should do is um, uh, we can give guidance summarize what scientific evidence is there that community engagement is actually beneficial uh, for the health authorities and the communities. And uh, we can uh, see how this can be included uh, in the preparedness plans with the involvement of the respective communities, of course. Secondly, we are working with capacity building. Capacity building part of the health authorities that are to on the, at the at the interface with the communities, but also uh, at the on the community side with the with the NGOs, but also with influential spe uh, spokespersons of of these communities. Um, and we uh, are doing this now with webinars to certain topics. We had vaccine hesitancy, for instance, as one of the topic where the countries can exchange experience, what worked, what didn't work, so that countries also can learn from. It. Other. And lastly, that is something that we haven't been doing so much, but what I see as a, a task that we have to, to start is the advocacy, the political, so to ad advocate for, for, for the political um, uh, will to actually make this funding and this, this investments available. Rem, Freak, Inge, uh, Christiana and Andrea, and a special thanks, Andrea, to you and your colleagues for having taken the initiative to organise this session. We hope you enjoyed this episode based on the ECDC session at the European Health Forum Gestein. If you would like to know more about the European Health Forum, you can find links in the notes of this episode. We would like to thank the organisers at the European Health Forum for their help in putting this episode together. For more information on the COVID-19 pandemic or more information about ECDC in general, please visit us at ecdc.europa.eu or follow us on social media.